Hey, dear saints, you're listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword. Sermons from Pastor Kilgo, preached at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We pray that as you hear God's word, you would be strengthened in faith and love and rejoice in the joy of the Lord's promises and kindness. Dear saints, and especially to you, Jackson and Diana, God be praised for his kindness today. For your Jesus is the man who receives sinners and eats with them. Your Jesus is the one who has made you alive, and your Jesus is the one who has found you and brought you to repentance. The Pharisees said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. The father said, it is fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So these are the two questions that we want to ponder this morning. Why does Jesus eat with sinners, and what should our reaction to that be? First, we need to kind of track through the parables quickly. You, you have three of these. They're the parables of the lost. Sometimes the third is called the parable of the prodigal son. It kind of disassociates it from the first two. We should just call these the parables of the lost the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son, or conversely, the parable of the the found sheep, the parable of the found coin, the parable of the found son. Either way, but we want to kind of keep them as a unit because Jesus is telling all of this in response to this grumbling in the statement of the Pharisees. This man receives sinners and eats with them. They say grumblingly. So first, the lost sheep. Jesus says that there's this shepherd and he's got a hundred sheep. And one goes wandering off into the, uh, into the wilderness. And which of you having a hundred sheep would not leave the 99 in the desert? It's the, the desert in the, in the Greek. Uh, which of you would not leave the 99 in the desert and go off after the one and search diligently until he finds it? Well, probably nobody, because that seems like a silly thing to do. You don't leave the 99 helpless and defenseless to go and find the one. That, that's not how you take care of sheep. Otherwise, you're going to find the one, maybe, and the other 99 are going to be eaten by wolves in the process. But nonetheless, this being a picture of the Lord's mercy and diligently seeking us out, he leaves the 99, he goes and search for the one, and seeks diligently. He does not give up until he finds it. And then rejoicing, throws it on his shoulders. This is one of the things we want to see. There's joy that is just tracking through the entirety of these, this set of three parables. He throws it on his shoulders and comes home, and then he calls everybody together, uh, Rejoice with me, for I have found the sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there is uh, more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. It's teaching us about repentance, the whole parable. And then again in the next one, What woman, having ten silver coins, does, when she loses one, does not immediately light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? Again, probably nobody. Like, maybe you search around for a little bit, but you're not going to light a costly lamp. I mean, she's probably spending more money in the lamp oil than what she's actually finding in the silver coin. And also, when she gathers everybody together in celebration for this party, how many silver coins is she spending on this party? Nobody's doing this. This is, this is inappropriate in terms of the amount of celebration it, compared to the thing that's being found. 
at least initially. And this is where we want to pause and kind of see something that, that Jesus is saying here. They, he says at the end of that, uh, just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels in heaven over one sinner who repents. So again, repentance. And what Jesus is driving us at here is to understand just how incredible of a thing it is for someone to be brought to repentance. It is such an amazing and unfathomable thing that all of the heavens are rejoicing. All the saints, all the angels, the Lord himself rejoicing over one. There's like 60 in here, 50, something like that. You imagine the joy. And the thing that we need to recognize is how difficult of a thing that actually is for a sinner to be brought to repentance. We think this is an easy thing, and it's not. It should never happen. The enemies of God should never be the friends of God. They should be destroyed. But the Lord doesn't do that. This is the amazing thing that he's hitting at. Why, why is the, the reaction, the celebration of the shepherd and of the woman so over the top? Because it's not just a sheep that's being found. It's not just a coin that's being found. It is a sinner being brought back to repentance, back into fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Somebody being brought into the eternal dwellings of God. And that is an amazing thing. And that is worthy of a great amount of celebration. And in that sense, it is not over the top at all. And then you get the son. The son comes up to his father and says, give me my share of the inheritance. And we have to hear that for what it is. Father, I wish you were dead so I could have your money. It's a rather awful thing to say. The father, nonetheless, is kind and gives him his share of the inheritance. And he goes off and he squanders it in reckless living. And then he has nothing to eat, no shelter, and he desires to be fed with what is being fed uh, to the pigs. And you can imagine, like, if you've ever seen, like, a pigsty, and you've got the, the trough there with all the slop, that's what he's desiring to eat. That is desperation. And so he comes to his senses and says, I'll go back to the father, but there's no way my father is going to let me back into the house. I will ask just to be a servant in his home. And the father will have none of that. The father runs out and he greets him and brings him back into his home, clothes him, puts a ring on his, on his finger, puts shoes on his feet, kills the fattened calf, celebrates. And twice he says to the servants, let us celebrate and rejoice and be glad. And then to his son who comes up angrily about this whole thing, he says, it is fitting that we celebrate and be glad. For this one was dead and he's alive. This one was lost and he's found. And here we come to the, to the end of this, that what repentance is, is being found by Christ, being found by his kindness, his word, his mercy, his forgiveness. That is repentance in these parables. Now, there, there are three parallel things that we want to notice is going on in here that's going to help. One, what is said by each of the people, what's said by the shepherd and the woman and the father to the servants before he starts talking to the older son. The shepherd says, rejoice with me. The woman says, rejoice with me. The father says, bring, this is a rejoice with me, but expanded. 
Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Let us rejoice. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And then what we get at the end of all of them. Jesus says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother was dead and is alive, he was lost and is found. And we need to actually make a note on that. Uh, we want to translate that actually a little bit differently. It was necessary. That's the word that he uses there. It was necessary to celebrate and to rejoice. For this was your dead brother, and he is alive. And he was lost, and he is found. It's necessary to celebrate and rejoice. Why? What's going on with all this? Why is the the woman coming in and saying, rejoice with me. The shepherd coming in and saying, rejoice with me. The father going over the top and clothing and all this joy and then saying it's necessary for us to do this. Because it's the proper response to what's actually happening here. A sinner being brought to repentance from death to life. I mean, you can imagine like if all of us know people who are dead, literally, if that person came in one day how much joy we would have over that. And that is what's happening here, except in a, in a much more profound sense. It also, second, because it parallels with the response of the heavens themselves. And, not least of which, because it is placing us into the joy and celebration of the Lord himself. And we cannot lose sight of this, this important aspect of this. That joy properly belongs to God. It is his. We get this, for example, in Nehemiah. You see this on like Christian decor all the time. The joy of the Lord is your strength or your, your refuge or fortress. The thing that is going to protect you from the sorrows of this life is the joy of the Lord. Not your own joy. The Lord's joy. It's his. And he gives it to you as a gift. Or in the Song of David in Chronicles 16, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are his. Joy belongs to God. And that's what is happening here is that everybody else is being brought into that joy. The shepherd rejoicingly places the sheep onto his shoulder and comes back. And then from there on, all the joy is that joy. It is the joy before God, the joy of the heavens, rejoicing with me. And then we need to remember what is the context of these parables. Like we said at the outset, the Pharisees are coming, and they're looking at what Jesus is doing, and they are grumbling about it. This man receives sinners and eats with them. And you hear, like, the grinding of their teeth. The Pharisees are so caught up in their own grumbling and their dissatisfaction and their annoyance, they refuse to see. They cannot see the beautiful thing that the Lord Jesus is here doing. 
That Jesus is receiving sinners to himself. That Jesus is bringing them to repentance and to faith and to salvation and to eternity. That Jesus is rejoicing over these his beloved children who are now reconciled to himself, who were lost and are now found by him, who are dead and now are made alive in him who is the life of the world. The Pharisees can only grumble. They can only be upset. They can't get over their preconceived notions of just how Jesus is supposed to be acting. He's not doing what he's supposed to do, at least according to their minds. He's not doing it the way they would do it. And this is the danger we need to be aware of for ourselves. The Pharisees are so caught up in their, so, their own self-righteous attitudes in their being upset with Jesus perpetually that they have, they have lost the capacity for joy. And that is a deadly thing. You see it in the Pharisees. Here is Jesus receiving sinners into the kingdom of God. Here is Jesus forgiving sins and making sinners to be righteous. Here is Jesus bringing the enemies of God to be reconciled to the Father through his own blood, and the Pharisees, looking at that, scowl. They're mad. They grumble. That is our warning. To recognize that the deeper we drive into our own grumbling, our, our own upsetness about things, the further we drive ourselves from the joy of the Lord. So like the Pharisees, church, faith, religion, all these become a burdensome thing without any semblance of joy or gladness of celebration. You notice what we call a lot of the celebrations in the church, feasts and festivals, celebrations. And there's a danger of losing that. This is what we see in the older brother, in the third parable. He has no joy, not in his brother's repentance, not in his father welcoming him back, not in his family being made whole again. He has only grumbling at his father, annoyance with him because he's not doing what he's supposed to do, at least in his own mind. This is not what the brother would do if he were in charge. It's not how he would do things. And he also, this is part of his complaint, he hasn't gotten any of the stuff that this young, young brother has gotten. You never gave me a young goat to celebrate with my friends. And so the older brother, we can imagine, does not even have the capacity to smile upon the return of his brother to the household of faith. The Pharisees, we can imagine, have no capacity to smile at Jesus reconciling sinners to himself. And we should be on guard against the same trap, lest we too find ourselves being unable to even crack a smile at the good things that God gives to us constantly. We talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago on all the marvelous things that God is giving us on all the time. So back to the two questions. Why does Jesus eat with sinners? And what is our response to that? Well, Jesus eats with sinners, not because he's downplaying their sin, not because he's saying that their sin doesn't matter, but Jesus is eating with sinners because he has, through his death, through his resurrection, forgiven their sins, removed their sins from them, 
that he has in his blood covered their sin, that he has through his blessed work clothed them with his own righteousness so that they, so that you and I are no longer the enemies of God, but his beloved children. And because that is the reality, because that is why Jesus is receiving sinners and eating with them, because this is the great joy of the Lord, we are given to respond in the same way. And here we should have sitting in our minds this great text, that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And you, dear saints, are the joy of Jesus, just as the lost sheep is the joy of the shepherd, and the coin is the joy of the woman, and the son is the joy of the father. You are that joy because the Lord in his great kindness has, as he has promised, borne our griefs and carried our sorrows and taken our sins upon himself. And he has crucified all of that in his body on the sacred tree. And he has been raised victorious over sin and over death and over your adversary, the devil who prowls around but can harm you no longer. And he has ascended for you so that he would intercede with the Father on your behalf. And in your baptism, you have therefore been crucified with him. And it is no longer you that live, but Christ who lives in you. And because of that, the life that you live, you live in faith to the Son of God who loved you and gave himself up for you. And in his great love, the Lord has promised not only to baptize you, but to instruct you in this faith, teaching you to cling to all things that he has taught you, and has promised that in that he is with you always to the end of the age. And then he will return at the end of the age, according to his promise to raise you and all the saints dwell with him for eternity. The Lord has great joy in you, that through the beloved Son you are made his children and heirs, his brothers and sisters, his friends and his saints. And because the entire triune God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, has this joy over our reconciliation, so does the entirety of the heavens over one sinner who repents. And if the saints in heaven can rejoice, and if the angels can rejoice, and if God himself can rejoice, then we too, dear saints, not only can, but must, it is necessary for us to rejoice and celebrate. And here stands, we should remember this, more than one sinner who is repentant. We have an entire room full of sinners who are repentant. So here in this room, at this moment, is the cause of the rejoicing of the entirety of the heavens and of God himself multiple times over, and is therefore also the cause of our great joy and our great celebration. In the name of Jesus, amen. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword. 
Sermons by Pastor Kilgo at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We'd like to invite you to join us for church, Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We also have Bible study at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings and at other times throughout the week. Please visit our website at redeemer-lawrence.org for more information. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.